Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to worship you. We have done so by singing songs about your holiness, your glory that you deserve for what you have done for all of humanity. We now turn our attention to the proclamation of your word. I just pray that we continue to worship you in a manner that is worthy to bring you all honor and glory, especially because you are the one who is holy. We pray this in Christ's name who has made it possible. Amen. The Vietnam War Memorial is the most visited memorial on the Washington Mall in D.C. See, the memorial was actually designed by an architect named Maya Lin. The most prominent feature on the wall is actually its shiny black granite with names etched into it. And this black granite is actually shaped as a V. Five million people a year visit this memorial. 58,000 names of military men and women who sacrificed their lives during the Vietnam War are etched into the shiny granite. The purpose is very simple for this wall. It reminds the 58,000 visitors per year that their freedom came at a cost. Brothers and sisters, for us, We Christians, we have the cross. And when we look at the cross, we should be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Our freedom from the consequence of sin came at a cost. I want to read to you a verse that we're going to go over this morning. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. See, what I just read to you was written some 700 years prior to Christ's virgin birth. What I just read to you is why we have titled our sermon this morning this. For our injustice. For our injustice. This morning we're going to be taking a break from the Gospel of John as mentioned. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through 12. And that means we're covering the whole entire chapter because Isaiah 53 has 12 chapters. Today we're going to examine the writing from the prophet Isaiah himself. So we must Establish what a prophet is. Simply, a prophet is a spokesperson for God. It's just really that simple. Specifically, we're looking at Isaiah's writing from 700 years prior to Jesus' virgin birth. However, this is actually no ordinary prophecy. Though it is prophetic in nature, thus making it a futuristic event... It's also present and past tense as if Isaiah was writing history as it happened. Let's go ahead and get into our text and see exactly what it is that we're talking about. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root of 
of parched ground. He has not stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and he did not, or we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like the sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with a wicked man, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their inequities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Amen. As we look to put these 12 verses into one simple sentence that will formulate our main idea that really just tells us exactly what it is that's going on in all of Isaiah 53, it looks just like this. And this is our main idea. Jesus was punished for our injustice. Jesus was punished for our injustice. So when we begin here in verses 1 through 3, Isaiah asks a question. He says, who has believed our message? We know that most of the Jews did not. The Jews did not believe this message. Again, this is no ordinary prophecy. And this is the reason why he starts off by asking this question. See, it's both present and past tense. However, this is also a reference for future Jewish believers who will one day look back upon their spiritual blindness and realize that Jesus is actually their suffering Messiah. We believing Gentiles see this prophecy for what it is now, don't we? We see it quite differently. So through this prophetic Prophecy, and it's prophetic in nature, thus making it a futuristic event. It's also, as we've said, present in past tense, as if Isaiah was actually writing that history as it happened. Now, let's give a few examples to back up that claim. And when we look at the text, it's very easy, because what does it say here? It says, he has no stately form. Now, if this was 
future tense, well, what would it say? It would say, will not have stately form. Now, what does it say? It says, he was despised and forsaken of men. If it was future tense, it would say, he will be despised and forsaken of men. Do you see where we're going here? See, nevertheless, do you recognize what Isaiah is telling us? Just with those, those, those few examples that I just gave you, do you really see what Isaiah is saying about Jesus? He's saying that Jesus was not externally attractive. That's what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus was ugly. Take a look at this westernized version of Jesus' appearance. Just look at it. I mean, I don't know. Model material, possibly. Jesus with the long hair, looking Anglo, kind of, you know, this doesn't really do it justice, but we've seen other photos of Jesus like this, where Jesus comes across as a good-looking white man with a beard. Am I wrong or am I right? That's kind of what we've seen our whole lives. It does not look like this artist painted this portrait here that I just showed you from Isaiah's description. Because if you're going to use Isaiah's description, what I just showed you wouldn't look like it does. It kind of makes me wonder when we see things like this. Because historically, let's just face facts, we've all thought that Jesus had long hair and the beard and he was actually attractive. What else is it that we've gotten wrong about the gospel? I mean, some of you are sitting here today, been going to church your whole life, and you think you know some things about the gospel, but really maybe we've been getting some things wrong. So ugly, Isaiah says what? Like one from whom men hide their face. So unattractive, they look away from his appearance. They don't even want to look at him. Now take a look at the beginning of verse 2 where it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Jesus grew up before God like a suckling shoot. Now a suckling shoot grows off of the main sock and it needs to be pruned and discarded. The shoot needs to be pruned because it sucks the life out of the main plant. Basically, Jesus was viewed as if he were a tender shoot, as it says, that needs to be pruned and thrown away. That's how his generation looked at him. Now, there's a connection to this in verse 8, but first, we're going to get to that later. We must recognize something. What does it say next? It says, he grew up before. See, Jesus grew up before God. God observed his growth while the rest of the world had no idea who it was that Jesus actually was. God in human form, the Messiah. One commentator says it best when he says this. This is a simple way to say his beginning was irrelevant. It was unimportant. It was insignificant. It didn't matter. He was a nobody from nobodies from nowhere. So as we keep that in mind and we move on to verses 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5 is where our sermon's title actually comes from, for our injustice. See, just observe these phrases from these two verses. I'm going to share these phrases that we're seeing here. It says, our griefs himself bore. Our sorrows he carried away. 
He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon Him. By His scourging, we are healed. See, verses 4 and 5 is what Warren Visby calls the heart of Isaiah 53. These verses point us to the sacrifice that Jesus made. These verses should point our attention to the cross. Make note of the cross behind me. What these verses do for us is what the Vietnam War Memorial does for Vietnam veterans. However, there is a difference between the cross and the memorial for Vietnam veterans. See, veterans who did perish in Vietnam, who sacrificed their lives for our freedom, they were trying to make it out alive. See, Jesus was the opposite. He wasn't overtaken by the Romans. He willingly laid down his life for us. Jesus was not overtaken by the Jews either. He was in a position to willingly lay down his life for us. Jesus willingly laid down his life for a ransom for many. Amen? God punished Jesus for our sin. I really want to say that one more time and let that sink in just for a moment. God punished Jesus for our sin. God exhausted his wrath upon Jesus for our sin. Do you know why God chose not to exhaust his wrath upon us? He could have. The reason why God exhausted His wrath, which means the wrath that God has, He poured it all out on Jesus. And there's a reason why He did it to Jesus and not us, and it's simple. Because as imperfect, fallible man, it would crush us without the opportunity for bodily resurrection. Now, Jesus was crushed too. However, he was perfect and infallible. Therefore, he was qualified for resurrection, which is why we take notice of the cross and we allow it to be a reminder to us. And also, what we're talking about here with resurrection especially, and this is something that we cannot forget, there's a reason why Jesus isn't on the cross behind me. There's a reason why this cross is empty. Now, our adversary, the prince of the power of the air, a.k.a. Satan himself, do you think he would rather have Jesus still be on the cross or an empty cross? Satan would much rather have Jesus be on the cross because a dead Jesus hasn't been resurrected. An empty cross represents resurrection, which is why the cross behind me is empty. In fact, because of this and his resurrection, the cross should always remain empty empty. Brothers and sisters, this is what we should be reminded of when we look upon the cross. We should be reminded, as it says right here, our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him by his scourging. We are healed. 
all of which was done for our injustice. And the empty cross should remind us of His resurrection, a resurrection all believers will one day partake in. Upon His second coming is when that will happen. Until then, our job, as we've stated each and every Sunday, is to live out Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the Great Commission that Jesus left His church with. He didn't leave His church with a commission to entertain people, bring them into church on Sunday. No. He wants to see salvations. And He wants to work through us to do just that. Now, before we continue, let's talk about something that we've seen recently. This is an advertisement that's been making its rounds. This has been brought to my attention multiple times by people this past week because they just put this on the Super Bowl last Sunday. He gets us. He gets us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus does not get us. He doesn't get us. No, not even close. See, Jesus doesn't get us because Jesus knows us. And there's a big difference. See, getting us would imply that he empathizes with our sin. Jesus never sinned. He can't show us empathy because he's not a sinner. He was tempted, but never gave in to the temptation to sin. The fact that Jesus knows us is actually biblical. But before we look at some biblical evidence, observe something in this photo. And then we're going to look at two, just two verses of the many that we can find in the Bible. Just take a look at this photo. We mentioned earlier that we've been going through the Gospel of John, and how does the Gospel of John start off? It starts off with Jesus. Verse 1, John 1, 1, Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God Himself. And then we move into John the Baptist. And what does John the Baptist say? And what was the point of John the Baptist's ministry? Repent. What are we told in the Gospel of Mark? Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is when you turn away from your sin and turn back towards God. Now, as sinful man, even though we're saved, we're still going to sin. So the whole idea of being a Christian isn't about being perfect. It's about identifying your sin, repenting of said sin, and turning back to God. And that is going to be a process that we do each and every day until Jesus returns or we pass away from natural causes or however it is that we actually die in this life. We're not perfect. We never said that we are. But we understand that repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's something that we actively do along the way. So as far as he gets us, this is the exact screenshot that we saw last week in the advertisement during the Super Bowl. But just take a look at this photo. If you think it's great that the name of Jesus was used during the Super Bowl, what do I see when I see this? I see a priest washing the feet of a man who's dressed like a girl. If you're a man dressed like a girl, have you repented? Wouldn't that message be confusing? Do you think Jesus sees the external after all, what do we know about Jesus? Men hid their faces from his external appearance. 
Jesus sees the heart. Look at these verses here. What does it say about what Jesus knows about our heart? Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Jesus doesn't get us. He knows us. What does John 2, verse 25 say? And because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. See, here's the thing, and this is the same thing that's true with any Christian book or anything that you ever pick up. Most often, the title of the book will give away whether or not it's actually gospel-centered or heretical, just like he gets us. Whoever put this ad, this whole marketing campaign together, if they just knew what the Bible actually says about Jesus knowing our heart, they would never say that he gets us. They would say, Jesus knows what's in man. Jesus knows what's in your heart. And you do too. You know those thoughts that you think but maybe don't act upon. You know that they came from somewhere. You may be not liking the fact that it came to you, but that's just our inherent sinfulness. That's what Jesus has saved us from. That's the reason why he was pierced for our transgressions. It's the reason why he left heaven, took on human form, and went to the cross because of our injustice. And it gives us great hope to see what he's doing. Again, I just want to share this. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him. And in verses 6 through 8, our proof that we should be reminded is actually found right here in verse 6, reminded of what this cross, this empty cross represents. We're all like sheep who have gone astray. All of us. We've all turned to our own way. Therefore, our iniquity, a.k.a. our sinfulness, fell upon Him. Now, we've already established that this is actually prophetic and that it's both past present and future tense in nature, but take a look at the past tense verbs in verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He did not open his mouth. So not only did he remain silent, but he was also like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. See, the fact that he did not open his mouth is interesting in and of itself. Jesus did not attempt to defend himself. See, sheep are docile creatures. They're willing, they willingly allow themselves to be sheared. Their wool grows continuously and it keeps them warm in the winter, but it keeps them hot in the summer. They need to be shaved also and sheared because the wool can trap parasites and infections, so it keeps them from getting ill. Jesus willingly remained docile. And I want to go to the words of Charles Spurgeon, who's a great theologian, who said this. He knew that it availed not for a lamb to plead with wolves. He was well aware that whatever he said would be misconstrued and made a fresh source of accusation. What power he thus exerted in remaining silent. Perhaps nothing displays more fully the omnipotence of Christ than this power of self-control. This is evidence that he willingly laid down his life. The Romans didn't take it. The Jews didn't take it. Jesus willingly laid his life down. Do you know how many tough guy criminals that have 
sung like a songbird to avoid incarceration. I'm sure you could just ask our own Bill Murphy. He sees some tough guys come through the interrogation room and then they have that evidence hanging over their head looking at decades in prison and then they start singing to get out of the trouble. Jesus didn't open his mouth. Yet Jesus remained silent as he stared down death. He remained docile as God's wrath was exhausted on him for our injustice. Jesus, our Messiah, did not deserve death. Yet he chose to lay his life down for our future resurrection. So when you look at that empty cross, it should remind you, give you hope that you will one day be resurrected too if you have faith in his work. He chose to lay his life down for our eternal security. He chose to lay his life down for our injustice. Brothers and sisters, don't just sit in silence as I'm saying these words. Can I hear at least an amen from you? You sit in silence, do you not agree with what, what I'm saying? This is our hope. This is our hope. Our Lord, the creator of the cosmos, the author of life, took on his own creation in order to save his creation. We observe all of this in the past tense, don't we? Whereas in the future, Israel will one day observe this as having happened too. Not yet. Now, observe verse 8 that we mentioned earlier where it says, He was cut off out of the land of the living. This is that suckling shoot, that tender shoot that we mentioned from verse 2, which is precisely what happens when God's wrath is exhausted. That's how we know God exhausted his wrath upon Christ. He was cut off. It's right here. It was predicted 700 years before he was even born to the Virgin Mary. So as we move on to verses 9 and 10, when you're cut off out of the land of the living, as it says right there in verse 9, you die and need to be buried, as it says, in a grave. Jesus' grave was assigned with wicked men. And this is because Jesus died alongside criminals. Imagine that. God leaves heaven, takes on human form, and then has to die alongside criminals. In first century Judaism, criminals were unworthy of an honorable burial. In fact, they would leave them on the cross for the birds to pick at them like roadkill. As Messiah, Jesus died with honor. We know this. The Jews maybe didn't, the Romans didn't, but we know that he died with honor. Therefore, what does it say? He was with a rich man in his death. Now this is prophetic as well. It's amazing how Isaiah 700 years prior to is getting all of this right. See, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, loaned his unused tomb for Jesus' burial. Brothers and sisters, again, Isaiah prophesied this 700 years ago. So whoever said the Bible wasn't inspired by God in inerrant in form is doing what? I mean, are, are you kidding me? 
So many biblical prophecies have come through throughout the course of history. So when you read in verse 10 that the Lord was pleased to crush him, please understand that this is because for God so loved the world. That's John 3.16 that we went over a few months ago. God was pleased to crush Jesus because God for so loved the world. Understand that this is because God loves you despite your injustice. Our hope is that he will see his offspring, as it says. Our hope is that he will prolong his day, as it says here in the text. Our hope is that the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. We only have hope because, as it says in verse 9, what does it say? He had done no violence. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. We only have hope because Jesus, and this is important, we only have hope because Jesus is holy from the inside out. This is what happens when a holy God crushes a perfect holy sacrifice. We have hope despite our injustice. This is verified in verse 11. What does it say? It says, the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. When God exhausts his wrath, it's not just the body that's crushed. It's also the soul that gets crushed. Jesus' very soul was made an offering to God for our injustice. As we know that Jesus is God in human form, does this not reveal the Father's love for us? He was willing to take on human form and not only have His body crushed by His own wrath, but His soul so He can be in an eternal relationship forever with us? Does this not reveal the Father's love for us? I don't mind talking about God's wrath. I don't mind talking about Jesus taking on the full of God's wrath because I know that he did so so he could be in a relationship with us forever. This is a beautiful thing. This isn't negative. This is positive. We will receive resurrected bodies one day as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because of our faith in Jesus. Does this not reveal the Father's love for us? forever. When you see Jesus, He's going to be more ugly than what it was already described by the prophet Isaiah. Remember this. We get new resurrected bodies because this body has been tainted by sin. Jesus will still remain in the same body that went through the flogging the whole entire execution Roman style, the whips, the scars on his back, the beating that he took, those scars will remain for all of eternity. But it's not about the external now, is it? He went through that. He doesn't need a new resurrected body because he died the perfect sacrifice. 
So for all of eternity, we will be reminded. We will see the nail holes in his hands and his feet from being on the cross. For all of eternity, we will be reminded of the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus. That gives me hope. I want to serve a God that was willing to go through all of that in order to be in a relationship for me. So again, does this not reveal the Father's love for us? I cannot help but reminded of the hymn, how deep the Father's love for us. I want to just read the lyrics, I'd sing them, but nobody wants to hear that. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure, how great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Actually, let's just call Joe and Pastor Steve up now. Again, I would like to highlight more hope through God's provision, but I'm going to have Pastor Steve sing this for me because he would do a much better job. But first, verse 12, what does it say? I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong. This gives us hope too, brothers and sisters. Jesus will share the spoils of his victory over death with us, just like a conquering king would have done. Well, that's because Jesus is the king who conquered death. Therefore, he will divide the spoils of eternal life with us. We will not taste death if we have faith in Jesus. A victory he achieved for our in justice. And again, our main idea stated this. Jesus was punished for our injustice. Thank you, Matt, Pastor Matt. Let's stand and sing together. Um, I'm not sure I'm do that much better than anybody else. I used to kid people that there was only one singer in my family, and that was the sewing machine. But... Uh, Kids today say, what's a sewing machine? Anyway, but seriously, let's sing of the deep, deep love that, that God has for us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his son for son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory Behold the man on the cross I sit upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, 
No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain in his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.